You're listening to Football Friday Night On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with high school football scores, updates, and news by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. And welcome back to another edition of the Football Friday Night Podcast On Demand. Adrian brought us here along with my co-host Alex Nicolas coming off a very, very busy week five in El Paso High School football. A lot of games to break down, a lot of previews to get to. Uh, We're going to add something new in our podcast this week. We're going to be giving some hot takes this week, a a special segment sandwiched in between um, our weekly recaps and talking previewing ahead for week number six. We're also going to be talking some locks like what what we're talking about is what we feel best about moving forward in the season kind of at the midway point right now Alex thanks so much for joining us back on the podcast man it's it's been a lot of fun just kind of seeing how everything is shaping up here in the local high school football scene yeah man you know I, I learned a lot about 6a football last week watching two very very good very close competitive games um, and then, you know, peeping in on others, you know, learning where teams are starting to, to form, whether they're identities, are they a team that's going to put a point or they're a team that has a consistent defense. Those things are starting to shape up and you hit it right. Things are starting to, to sort of follow, uh, put to, or be put together, um, you know, and district play, full-blown district play across the city is creeping up upon us. That'll start next week. So, um, you know, the more learning, the merrier. And, of course, like I said, I, you know, for me, my big takeaway, um, you know, watching those six days last week, man, that was a, it's, it's going to be a very interesting season. We'll how we can get into that uh, the rest of October, I guess, as well, too. Before we talk about our weekly recaps, and I guess we got to start with Thursday's upset victory with the Pebble Hill Spartans upending Eastwood. But before we get to that, are you still comfortable on the playoff lock you had earlier this year? Talking about your four playoff teams, I had the same four teams just in a different order. Are, Are you still okay with that or are you deviating a little bit from it? I'm going to deviate a little bit just because I think it's going to, it's, there's so much parity. Um, you know, that's really the big thing that I learned this week is that um, everybody has a weakness. Everybody has a strength. Everybody has a playmaker, um, you know, and, and that's going to lead to, um, you know, an interesting race. One of my playoff teams that I had out was Pebble Hills, but after watching their gutsy win on Thursday, like you mentioned, um, you know, that put, that gives me a little bit of confidence to think that they can, you know, and obviously at one and oh, um, with the you know the matchup that they have coming up this week, you know they could put themselves in that district title contender um, you know bracket where we didn't you know maybe last week I didn't think they were so you know it's going to be a week to week evolution of where those teams are going to stand uh, you know and really it's going to be who's going to stay healthy who's going to really you know minimize the mistakes you know going back to that Pebble Hills Eastwood game. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think a team like Pebble Hills and, you know, um, you know, even a team like America's that, you know, gave Eastlake a, a tough game. Can they be a spoiler and maybe win some games, you know, that maybe is not expected? And, and that's where I see in 1-6-A, and that's really what I learned, you know, starting with that Pebble Hills game on Thursday is that, you know, the, you know, the way that they were able to give Eastwood fits, not only offensively, um, you know, with Gael Choa and what they were doing offensively, but really their defense, the way that they really hung in and, and made Andrew Martinez, you know, really kind of force him into making plays as easy as it came for him the first few weeks. So there's it's a lot, a lot of parity, um, you know, and, and it really showed that, you know, Thursday we, were, we weren't sure. We didn't know if it was going to be the top heavy with those four teams. Uh, but, you know, a team like Pebble Hills that showed up the way they did on Thursday, you know, they could wreck that party of my four teams that I predicted last week. We've said it before, I'll say it again, I was very surprised to see Eastwood go down in this game. Not only did they come into this one, um, I I would say it as the heavy favorites, their senior quarterback, Andrew Martinez, has played pretty sharp this year so far. Um, A little bit of a hangover coming off that game out of town, it kind of feels like. And to begin district play, you definitely don't want to lose in a game like this. It's an emotional roller coaster type of game, and and you'll break it down a little bit better than I can since you were out at that finish of this game. But Andrew Martinez essentially has a chance to close out this game along with the Eastwood offense. They weren't able to punch it in late in that game. What happens? Pebble Hills marches down the field. Gael Ochoa, uh, you know, comes up big with a two-point conversion following a uh, game-tying touchdown score uh, to pretty much wrap this one up. This Pebble Hills Spartans team is young. They, they've got sophomores across the board. Uh, their defense does have some veteran uh, experience 
experience, but for the most part, this is a new team. And I, I feel kind of bad for uh, head coach Mark Torres because it feels like he's had to cycle through all these different teams simply because of, you know, military families out there in the Pebble Hills area losing uh, their quarterback from last year. That's, that's really tough to replace when you're having to um, constantly look at a revolving door and, and go through roster management with your team like Pebble Hills has over the past couple years. Yeah, that and, and even going, you know, looking at Eastwood side of roster shuffling, you know, they lost their top receiver, Isaiah Pena, um, you know, to injury. And, uh, you know, that was a guy coming into the season, you know, in game one, you know, he goes out there and he puts a big catch, his 169 yards and a touchdown. And he's, you know, the most experienced coming back. And, and it's, you know, it sort of, it sort of showed, um, you know, some inexperience, uh, you know, in what East Lakes are, excuse me, what Eastwood may try to do offensively, um, you know, and, and that's what I look at going back to that game, um, you know, last Thursday. And, you know, the big thing when you're talking about continuity with Pebble Hills, I think where they may find a continuity point going forward, um, you know, with all the, the shuffling they had, especially the shuffling they've been doing at quarterback this year, is Gael Ochoa, I think he won that game. You know, you talk about that, you know, that series before the 90-yard touchdown drive, you know, he threw an interception, which was a throw that, you know, looking back, you look at film later on that one, he's going to learn from that. That was maybe a throw that he forced. It was sort of a sideline comeback route, um, you know, and he threw the ball short. You know, was, I think everybody in the stands, you know, saw once, you know, the, the ball was being thrown that way that it was going to be intercepted. And then, um, you know, come, come back on the next drive and, and throw two long passes, um, you know, to set his team up inside the 20. And then the way that he finished that game out, running for 125 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, um, you know, an efficient nine of 18 for 170 yards. And those two balls that were dropped that could have been extra t- t- touchdowns in that game where maybe could have flipped that game a little bit on its heels differently for Pebble Hills. So I think, you know, finding consistency at quarterback in, in what Pebble Hills is trying to do, I think that may help that roster turnover that you talk about Adrian and I think going forward you're going to see some uh, consistency I like Jaleel Boss I like the receiver uh, Jaleel Boss excuse me um, I said boss is boss um, you know he ha- he has some talent you know he had a couple of drops in that game that 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 he would like to probably have back but I think that's a guy that you're going to see really really develop as well um, you know so it, it is a turning point win for a Pebbles Hills team that you know they, they gave Permian a run early in the season well it turns out Permian may be not as good as Permian has been in the past, but, you know, to be able to, 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 to build off of that loss and then to go into to that game against Eastwood and, and take care of business, that to me shows a little bit of continuity starting at quarterback. And if, if that continues and, and, you know, uh, you know, little brother's going to be like big brother and Hey, you know, hope the big brother, uh, Heals up as well. You know, we talked about, we were talking about that amongst ourselves, Adrian, about that, the, the car wreck and, uh, you know, condolences to that family and, uh, you know, hope, uh, you know, hope Seth Ochoa, you know, recovers because I know he's got a a good thing going on there at McMurray as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned him and and best, uh, you know, best wishes to his family, condolences to him and wishing him a very speedy recovery. Um, Pivoting over to another 6A game, really want to mention this one, Franklin topping Montwood 49-45. It sounds a little bit closer than it actually was. Franklin led by a lot. Uh, It was, they put up 49 points all the way up into the third quarter. Montwood was able to score 17 points in garbage time in the fourth. Um, This one wasn't really close. Uh, in the uh, second half, in the first half, it was kind of a shootout back and forth between the two teams. I, I feel like Franklin just simply overpowered them. And I, I wonder if that's the story of Franklin moving forward. It, their quarterback, Cameron Bird, is experienced. 245 through the air really impressed me. But another guy who really impressed me as well was Bo Sparks, the junior wideout. He had 172 yards of receiving in this game and a touchdown, including a long of 46. Uh, Miles McWhorter on the ground with 86 yards and four touchdowns on the ground to punch things in. I feel like this Franklin team, once they get going, once their offense really starts, it's hard to stop them. If you're in a shootout against Franklin, you got to make sure that you're able to score enough points to keep up with them. Yeah, and you said, you know, it starts with Cameron Bird. We're talking about quarterbacks with, with Pebble Hills finding consistency on their offense. That's really going to be the key for Franklin. That's what's going to make them tough. I mean, Cameron Bird, you know, they – they, they don't throw screens. That's one thing, you know, we we're going to talk about Cameron Bird's, uh, you know, completion percentages and, and stuff like that, you know, and you can look at it as, as you know, well, are they a screen team? 
they'll throw the ball downfield. And I think that's what's been most impressive uh, to me with the Franklin offense really since that Andrus game is, you know, this is a team that's going to throw the ball downfield. And you're looking at so far this year, he's completed almost 66% of his passes, um, you know, and that's a very impressive market. And, and you mentioned both sparks, but I also like a couple of the other receivers that they have as well. Um, you know, Franco Hernandez is, is a very, very tall, lanky kid that can really go up and get the ball. Um, you know, sparks is a little bit of a shorter, but strong receiver that can really run routes. Well, and Dominic Hernandez is another good receiver as well. Um, and then of course, Miles McMortar, you know, he's been so consistent this year. Um, you know, even that 80 yard, game you know t when you look at at you know his kind of his game log throughout the year where he's averaged more than 100 yards every game coming in you know he's still a hard runner and to be able to get four touchdowns that means he's getting the ball inside the 20 and able to execute and that's really been the consistent mark for him he's already halfway to a thousand yards um, you know through four games so far this season and he's going to be a big part of what they do and I think Franklin is really just starting to not even hit their peak yet and I think that's very scary for a team like Eastwood coming off a loss last week um, you know, and not only that, but scary for that entire district, because I've mentioned, you know, there's a lot of weapons on that team. And if that offensive line holds together, Cameron Bird is an experienced quarterback that's going to get his playmakers the ball. And he's going to do it in an efficient manner like he's done in his past two outings. You covered Eastlake Americas. The Falcons topped the Trailblazers 23-14. What did you take away from this one? You know, I think Eastlake, I, the, what I came away was more questions with Eastlake, um, you know, than confidence I had going in with them. You know, they – they couldn't really get anything going offensively. You know, I got to credit America's their offensive uh, defensive game plan was simple. You know, they were going to go man to man. Um, they didn't blitz very much, you know, like they normally would have. Um, and, you know, when they did, they hit home on it and they really uh, made it tough for Sebastian Rendon. And it seemed like maybe at times Eastlake was getting a little bit impatient with their play calling, um, you know, and, and what they did was, was, a, was a smart adjustment in the second half. And, you know, America's took away the short passing game that Eastlake's really been known for over the past few years. And they really turned Eastlake into just to a running game. And that was out of the wildcat with Elijah Uribe. So, I came away with that, you know, maybe with more questions about, you know, how good Eastlake or how consistent Eastlake can be on offense. Now, defensively, Eastlake really has a good defensive unit in there. Um, you know, that's one thing that continues to stand out with, for me, you know, looking at how physical and fast that Eastlake defense uh, moves around. Um, that's going to be a constant thing. But to me, it's more defensively, you know, with, with these, or excuse me, the offense. That's really where the questions are going to amount with Eastlake. Um, you know, shout out to that Eastlake defense, though. Hector Hinojos, um, a tremendous linebacker. Jaime Guerrero's a big a playmaker. Albert Hernandez had two interceptions. That's a playmaking defense. But offensively, um, you know, where do they go at quarterback? Sebastian Rendon throws two picks. And like I mentioned, they just went basically a one-trick pony with, with Elijah Uribe just running left, running right. I mean, he was consistent throwing. Um, you know, I think he was four of, uh, four of five for 80-something yards and he threw a touchdown pass. But that that's a big question for me. I thought Eastlake was going to be a little bit more versatile on offense. America's with a great game plan, um, you know, showed that they can be stopped before America's too. Um, you know, they have questions at quarterback as well. Five turnovers, I believe it was, for the Trailblazers. Um, you know, we talked about it on, on, on Sports Talk with you on Friday about them replacing 42 Letterman from a year ago. They're going to be a rebuild in progress, but that, I think it was positive progress um, to really hang in with an East Lake team that they had down 17-14 with less than six minutes left in the fourth quarter. So here's my thing with East Lake. I mean, I know that they really want the best out of Elijah Uribe, which I'm okay with. I mean, he's one of the best players in the city, but my problem is with Sebastian Rendon only attempting nine passes in this game, and then you look on the running side of things, well, they run the ball 39 times. Elijah Uribe carries the ball 28 out of those 39 times. They're really pounding it through him. So you're so one-dimensional, and when you become so reliant on just one player, good defenses are going to sniff you out. That's why I'm looking at Eastlake Eastwood, Eastlake Franklin, Eastlake Montwood. Those teams are going to be way more tough for the Falcons than we saw this past week from the Trailblazers and any of the other previous teams that Eastlake's faced for that matter. Yeah, and, and you know, in that third and fourth quarter, there were, you know, there were times where 
you know, you can see everybody had his hands on his hips. You know, I think I had him for 148 yards in that game. They tallied him at 150. Um, you know, officially, he was really just, you know, he was consistent what he was doing. But how long can that last? You know, you got teams that are going to be able to put up points in this district. You know, you we talked about Pebble Hills finding an offense. We talked about Franklin. Obviously, Montwood was down 49-28 and was able to put 17 unanswered points on the board. Um, that was a rare sighting in 1-6-A-2 because we're talking about a 3 nothing halftime lead with Eastlake, who's, you know, put up 30-plus points in all three of their games and, you know, facing a, a defense of equal level. Um, Sebastian Rendon struggled, you know, two interceptions early on in that first half, uh, or excuse me, an interception in the first half, interception in the second half, really just could not get in a rhythm um, against that America's man defense. And that's, you know, maybe something, you know, they're going to have to adjust maybe some what they're going to do with their receiving core. But a lot of questions, a lot of work to be done for Eastlake um, because, yeah, now, you know, now – you're not sure where they're going to go to find a consistent point of their offense um, because everybody knows now you can key on number seven. He's going to be the guy, whether it's going to be out of the quarterback spot or touching the ball. You saw, you look at all those carries that he had, all the touches that he had in that game. Uh, you know what? We're looking at 35 plus touches. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a lot on one player's shoulders, especially so early in district play. I said the Socorro Bulldogs would top the Thunderbirds. That wasn't the case. Coronado pitches a shutout at home, gets their first victory of the season, 14-0 against Socorro. Anything to take away in this game? Well, I think for Coronado now, you know, you go play spoiler. You have an opportunity. You're 1-0 in district. You're on top of the uh, top of the district standings. You know, non-district play did not go their way at all. Um, yeah, you may, would you have liked to have put up more than 14 points on, on Socorro? Yeah, but – you know, would Eastwood or Eastlake would like to put up more than 23 on Americas? I think they would too. Um, but, you know, they're both 1-0. and So I think you just stay positive if you're Coronado. You know, you have an opportunity to play spoiler. Um, that's your role. And you have an opportunity to not only play spoiler, but to put yourself in a position to maybe even be in that conversation. But, of course, you got to take care of business, um, you know, week by week. And, of course, Coronado, without their projected starting quarterback going into the next season or going into this season, they got Montwood. Um, on Friday, coming off a tough loss, you know, why not? You know, why not Coronado be a, a spoiler? That's probably the attitude that I hope Bob Anderson and the staff are relaying. Because, um, you know, that a win like that, of course, you know, it's against the Coro team, 14 nothing. But, you know, that could change your fortunes. Um, but, you know, it's got to happen. If it's going to happen, it's got to happen this week against Montwood. A game that you and I had on our radars all week a week long was Del Valle Parkland. Ended up being kind of a dud. I mean, the Conquistadores really took control in this game. Didn't look back. Matadors have some question marks all over the ball. I mean, Alex, right now we're talking about Del Valle not coming into this game with a hangover following that overtime loss to Canetillo two weeks ago. Instead, they wanted to kind of redeem themselves from that loss, and they did in a big way with a, with a statement victory against Parkland. Yeah, and to me, statement more with their defense because we know that Parkland can be explosive. I mean, even if they're trying to figure it out at quarterback, um, you know, they have O'Bannon, you know, they have Beasley. Those are guys that are explosive that can make plays, but it just shows of how, you know, like you mentioned, the lack of, of a hangover from Del Valle and really for their defense, the way that LJ Martin and uh, that kind of Theo defense treated them a week before. It's a good bounce back win for Del Valle. Um, and I think continue, you know, going forward for Del Valle, you know, even though Christian Martinez didn't have a big day, but, you know, we're starting to talk about Jesse Ramos seems like every week on, on the program. And, uh, you know, now he's up to 10 touchdowns, one interception, uh, you know, completing almost 60% of his passes. And, you know, he gets it done with his legs as well. He's up to eight rushing touchdowns, averaging 4.1 yards per pop. And he's a very, very effective scrambler. He, you know, he's very, he has a really good feel in the pocket of, of when to let his receivers sort of continue running the routes and give him time or when to bail out of there. So, um, you know, you're going to see continued improvement, I think, out of Del Valle's offense with Jesse Ramos leading it. But that defense, you can tell, that's going to be really one of their strengths, particularly in district play and then going into that playoff game. But for Parkland, you know, I, I don't think they're panicking over there. I think – you know, even though they're one and four, um, you know, I've, I've been around Coach Franz as a player. You know, I, it's going to be business as usual. I think what Parkland's just trying to do is figure it out. I'll tell you this about Parkland. I, I think they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be one of those five and five, six and four playoff teams that you don't really want to face towards the end of the year. I think they're going to figure it out, um, you know, whether they switch up their offense as a whole and maybe just turn into a running offense. Um, you know, or maybe they can find a quarterback that can, they can throw with some consistency because um, I think turnovers right now is, is a big uh, glaring issue with Parkman, even just looking at, at, at some of their stats of where they're at on that minus side. So, you know, I think with Coach Franz and, and his staff, you know, this is 
um, a year where, you know, obviously, you know, three straight district titles, uh, you know, five, a, a window of five years where you have eight wins or more, you're going to have some lumps. Um, and I think the lumps that they're taking now is going to make them better, especially in district play. Um, and like I said, going into a, a possible area round game and even in a bi-district game against the two five A's. You talk consistency at the quarterback position. What about the consistency we've seen all year long from Chapin quarterback Mason Standerfer? He's uh, over 1,000 yards passing already on the season, 17 touchdowns to just three interceptions, has two touchdowns on the ground as well, has been able to find his, uh, his main target in Timothy Pastron in a big way this year, 21 catches, 463 receiving yards on the year, along with nine total touchdowns the Chapin Huskies with a statement victory on Thursday over Austin 43-13 I you know what Alex I'm just gonna say it right now after watching the first two years of Mason Standerfer I didn't think he would have it I I didn't know if he would get to this point but I got to give a lot of credit to uh, head coach Ryan Warner and the job he's done with Chapin and the job he's done with Mason Standerfer he's he's pretty uh, great this year so far yeah, I'll tell you what, you know, he's really proven himself. And I'm going to add some more variables to, you know, some talk of, 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 you know, how well he's playing. You know, he's out. They lost – Chapin lost their two starting running backs going into the year. Um, you know, Jacob Williamson. Um, and then, uh, oh, man, his name's going to – his name's going to uh, kill me. He was a running back at Andrews for his freshman year. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin my – it's going to ruin my evening if I can't figure out his name. Um, but, you know, basically he's out two projected starting running backs, and then he has a very young and experienced offensive line. Um, and Mason Standifer, you know, is really – turning into a leader of that program. And that's, that's what I've always noticed with Chapin. When, when Chapin has that leader, that quarterback leader, they're hard to beat. And, and you know, this is obviously a, a, a Ryan Warner program that's been in that Chapin program, played as a player, uh, you know, was there in, in some of the heyday. And he understands that. And I think he's really molded him into a great leader as that starting quarterback. And you're really starting to see it because, like I mentioned, you know, you lose your two starting running backs and, and you're with a young offensive line. You know, that takes heart to go out there and really fight the way that he has every week, um, you know, just to just to continue to stay consistent as he has. And, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Zeke Pastrana. I like that. And uh, uh, the other receiver that they have, Anthony Rivera, you know, his numbers look good. He's a good looking kid as well. Um, you know, and that's that's something that, you know, you're going in, into Facing a team like Del Valle, you know, you know, it's an experienced quarterback. Del Valle's seen them this year. We talked about Del Valle's defense, but already looking ahead to that matchup. Look at me. I'm already looking ahead, man. I take it week to week. But, you know, <laughs> but that, that, that's how good, you know, you're looking at, at, you know, senior quarterbacks and what Mason Standifer's doing, 17 touchdowns to three interceptions, you know, 55% completion rate. You know, it's going to be on his shoulders. Like I mentioned, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do after losing those running backs. And what they figured out is, you know what? Put the hand, put the ball in seven's hand, and let it spin. Um, you know, and that's what Ryan Warner's doing, and it's working for Chapin on offense. You know, they've, they've been putting up points. Um, you know, the past couple of weeks, and that, and that's good to see. You know, that's that's thirty four points against, uh, or excuse me, fifty six points against Irvin, and then they put up forty three against a good Austin team. So you know, that's a lot of confidence. You know, going into you know a tough one against Clint. Clint's going to try to slow the the game down against them. Um, you know, on the road this week. So, you know, for Mason Standifer, you know, you're talking about envy him and Jesse Ramos, you know, those could be the two MVP contenders um, in that 158 D1 district there. El Dorado tops Isleta, and actually they, they crushed Isleta this past week, 52-14. to 14. Now, it's interesting. The Indians, uh, two weeks ago, they had a really nice game against the Riverside Rangers, took them pretty much to the wire until the Rangers broke away and won that game. Then last week, in, a, in pretty much a dramatic fashion, topping Jefferson, 35-34. But this week just really couldn't show up in, in this game against El Dorado, and credit the Aztecs. What they were able to do on the ground between Quincy Estrada and Isaiah Rudison. I loved what they were able to do, accumulating 375 yards on the ground, five rushing touchdowns. Quincy Estrada with three, uh, Rudison with two. And then you had uh, Ricardo Portillo through the air, six of 10 in that game, 76 yards through the air. And he had two passing touchdowns. So Alex, uh, good takeaways if you're an El Dorado Aztecs fan. And you, you could look at this team hoping that they go into district play with a little bit more swagger. Yeah, and, and El Dorado, you know, credit to that coaching staff. Andrew Macias, the offensive coordinator, good friend of mine. What up, Drew? Um, you know, the way that they've been able to really, really 
figure things out because they had a tough start to the season. You know, a tough, uh, tough draw against East Lake in week one. Um, you know, Austin's always a tough team with the way they play defense and then Pebble Hills as well. And then to really figure it out on offense of what they want to be. I think that's what I was looking at more with El Dorado early on in the season. I like the way their defense plays. Um, but to me, it was about what they, what do they want to do on offense? Now, obviously Quincy Estrada, a healthy Quincy Estrada is a good thing for the El Dorado Aztec, but the guy that I really think they found, um, you know, in, 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 an, in an experienced player is Isaiah Ridison. Um, you know, you look at his last three games, he has over 500 yards rushing, you know, goes for 305 against Clint. And then last week, 178 yards and two touchdowns against Isleta. And, and, you know, that's going to be a big key for them going forward. They're, if him and, and Quincy Estrada can continue to stay as consistent as I feel that they can, and, and you know, that's a talented duo in that backfield, that's going to be a big deal for, for El Dorado. But keeping, uh, like I said, a healthy Quincy Estrada is good for El Dorado. And like I said, they, they're figuring it out that their identity could be on the ground. Um, you know, Portillo with the efficient passing game, you know, the short passing game, that can also help because I know they have that really nice receiver, Andre Thomas, um, that can get loose. And, of course, Thomas Nelson belts, uh, bets can catch out of the backfield. And he's a nice change of pace back to Rudison. They may have figured something out there, um, you know, as well at El Dorado. And I really think that, uh, you know, you're looking at a guy like Rudison that could – um, you know, possibly be – we just talked about 158D1 uh, MVP candidates. If Eldorado sneaks up on somebody, Rudison, you know, I, I'm not looking at the full stats, but I'm looking at here, Adrian, 774 yards. That has to be tops in the city through five weeks, you know, so then that's a good start for him. Well, I'll tell you who's top in the city right now. It's Ernie Garcia, man. Horizon and the way that they – okay, so let's peel this back a little bit. Horizon went to the wire with Fort Stockton. They went to the wire with Riverside. Um, that game wasn't close at the beginning, but uh, Horizon made it a game. And we kept wondering, I mean, what are we going to see from Paulo Melendez and his squad? Well, I mean, they destroyed Bel Air this past week, 64-28. Ernie Garcia on the ground, 17 carries, 151 rushing yards and a pair of touchdowns. Downs. Jacob Kihas led the way through the air, 191 passing yards, also rushed for 106. He ended the day with four passing touchdowns right now. Ernie Garcia leads, if, if, if I'm not mistaken right now, he might lead the entire city of El Paso right now with 907 rushing yards through five weeks. What? I mean, gosh, Ernie Garcia on the ground. He's been sharp. Um, I, I'm not sure what to make of this Horizon team. Some weeks we see this team, you know, battle against um, tougher opponents. And then like we saw this past week, they, they pretty much crushed this Bel Air team. Is Horizon good? That's my question, Alex. Is Horizon good? You know, the jury's out as far as are they good enough to contend, you know, in, the, in that top two or three spot in, in, in district play. I think, or in, you know, and we're talking about playoff standings, but I, this is a team that I wouldn't want to play in district or I wouldn't want to sleep on in district play because of the fact that you see there that they can just explode on you. Um, you know, they've put up points all year long, you know, with the exception of, of that of that loss to, to Austin. You know, they put up 34 on Fort Stockton. They almost came back. Um, at the end of that Riverside game. And then they, you know, they really put it together all the way around against a Bel Air team who's, you know, obviously they've struggled on defense the past few years, haven't been able to figure that out, um, have the Highlanders. But, um, you know, Ernie Garcia is the truth. I mean, he's been the, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth since his sophomore year, um, you know, since he's hit the scene. And, you know, he's really just topping that off with a solid senior year. And, and they're going to continue to get better. You know, I keep – when my talking point with Horizon is – Going back to, you know, what I saw in their scrimmage last year against Andres, um, or excuse me, at the beginning of the year against Andres, where, um, you know, Andres' first, uh, first team defense played the first two series. Um, and after that, Andres was really rotating a lot of their starters in with some of their second or third stringers. And Ernie Garcia was doing work in that game. Um, you know, and you're looking at similar numbers to where he was last year through six games, 969 yards, um, you know, 907 this year, um, 16 touchdowns last year, as has 12 this year. You know, th that's a similar pace. And I think that pace is only going to, you know, up that ante. Uh, you know, they got a week off this week to get him healthy. Then they play Chapin and then district play. Um, you know, and I really think that that Chapin game, that's a game that's going to be real interesting, really for both teams going into their district play. And I think that could tell us really, it's really a measurement, a measurement stick game now that, um, you know, it, it, uh, that, like I mentioned, that Garcia is able to really pull together that full game. Um, and, you know, same thing with the Horizon defense holding a, a very explosive Bellard offense to just 28 points. 
What's your takeaway from the Burgess narrow victory against Jefferson 28-22? All the word that we got, Alex, was it may have been a little too close for comfort and Burgess should have beat them by a lot more than they actually did. Yeah, you know, that when they were up 14 nothing, and, and Burgess went for it and, and Jefferson got the ball back and scored, that, that's a game changer. And, and winning the last two minutes of each half, I think, is very important. And, and even though Jeff didn't pull it out, the fact that they're able to get a, a defensive stop there and then score, that shows maturity. And we've, we've talked a lot about the Foxes. We're, we're Fox fans over here. We're, we're Foxes fans here. That's right. Podcast, That's you know? right. So, so that shows me that, that you know, you, they can't be taken lightly in that situation. You know, you got to be able to, to, to play, be able to manage it better there. I think if Burgess goes into to halftime with a 14 nothing lead, that game flips on its ends. And I think Burgess maybe wins that a little bit more comfortably going away. Um, but I think that speaks more to, to how good Jefferson is. Um, you know, in an opportunity where you can put a team away, even if you're putting the ball away late in the first half, um, you know, and play your odds of going into half a two-score lead. But it shows how good Jefferson is to get back into that game and to keep fighting all the way through until the very end. Um, you know, so and really what it also shows is, you know, District 25 AD2, you know, might get a little crazy as well, kind of, um, you know, equal to what we see in 1-6-A. Of course, Andrews looks like the the cream of the crop there, but you were talking about two, three, four, and even those five teams, um, you know, anybody can beat anybody. And I think that Thursday game um, with Jeff and Burgess may kind of symbolize what we can see from uh, district two, five, eight D two going forward. Anybody could beat anybody. Could Bowie beat Andrus? That game looked pretty close at, at some points, but then, of course, the Eagles take control of that game. No Jeremiah Cooper in that one. Uh, Andrus pretty much able to outlast them in the second half. Yeah, and, and Andrews is dealing with some injury issues. Malachi Doe uh, could possibly be out the rest of the season with an injury. Really? Um, and then uh, Jeremiah Cooper has a bum ankle, so his status is, is questionable right now. So that's really what's going on. That's really what probably what you saw. I, I, I think want to say uh, Doe was hurt early in that first half. Um, so that's a big blow to what Andrew's going to do. I mean, those so explosive. So that's something to keep on, uh, keep an eye on going into what I think is a pretty big matchup with Austin this week, um, you know, for Andrews to be able to, to, to get back on that district title hunt. You know, it starts, you know, with that one and O mark and that's going to be tough to do um, or they're already one and O, but you know, to continue staying in that race, um, you know, that's going to be tough to do against an Austin team who's, who's played them tough over the past couple of years as well. El Paso High has not been very competitive all year. I don't know how they beat Irvin. Irvin was the team we were talking about. John Nutson, the quarterback. I mean, he, he's been throwing for uh, a ton of yards in each game. The Rockets looking sharp. And then they lose this game to El Paso in, over, in, in double overtime, 41-35. I'm scratching my head after this one. I have no clue what to make of both these teams. Yeah, but I think what you're finding in El Paso High is you may be finding a couple of playmakers, and one of them could be Pedro Chavez. Um, the junior scored the game-winning touchdown. I believe he scored the, the tying touchdown to send it in overtime, but he had some big plays. Um, I may be, you know, getting those uh, touchdowns as far as their timing wrong, but, you know, that's what you look for. You know, when, you, when you're rebuilding a program, um, you know, like coach, uh, you know, like their new head coach is trying to do over there, you know, that's what you look for. And also their quarterback, Jerry Chavez, he's another playmaker, um, you know, that's, that's starting to develop and make plays for them. Can it be consistent? That's really the question. You know, can Ray Aguilar continue developing the consistency that we've seen as far as them putting up points against an Irving team uh, you know, so that's going to be a big question going forward. Can they keep that consistent? But it's good for the Tigers to get a win. Um, you know, it always looks good, you know, 1-0 and in district. Even, you know, after you, um, you know, you lose your, your pre-district games before, you know, when you go in winless and then you all of a sudden you flip and you're 1-0 and in district. You know, it's a different type of feeling. You practice a little different going into that. So, you know, maybe that's a confident game changer for the El Paso Tigers. And like I said, it's always nice to be 1-0, um, you know, after your first week of district play. Safe to say best win of Ray Aguilar's young El Paso high career thus far? Oh, yeah. The, the excitement of that, watching the highlights, you know, I think definitely from a, you know, you always talk about those program wins. Um, you know, I think that's definitely a program win for El Paso high. Like I said, to me, the bigger one and that one is, you know, the way that they won it. But, hey, it's a district game. You know, those that that's what counts more. And I think that's why, uh, you know, the, the, the Gatorade bath or however it was celebrated, it was just a little bit sweeter on the uh, – the old lady on the hill. 
Most definitely. Let's get to some hot takes, Alex. You ready to you ready to unleash this? We we did not plan ahead of this. We didn't give anybody. We didn't give each other our hot takes beforehand. So we're gonna react live to each each uh, hot take. We're gonna give three and three. Um, you want to start things off? You want me to start things off? I guess we just gotta free flow this, right? Yeah, we're gonna we'll just get in whoever uh, thinks they're too hot. They can add us, right? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I like that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, so um, my first I'll one. You, up. you go for it first. You go for it first. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, it's more of like a prediction, maybe even pre- uh, previewing next week. But I, I really think the Eastwood Troopers are going to start 0-2 in district play. Um, something we maybe weren't thinking about a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, especially when we're trying to figure out what Franklin is going to be. But I, I think, um, you know, the way that, that Eastwood lost and, and like I mentioned, them losing their top receiver now heading into district play and obviously, um, you know, the week before against that team from San Antonio, I really think right now Eastwood may be in a bind at least early on in the year, but that's not counting Eastwood fully out. I really think, you know, uh, parlaying into maybe my second hot take real quick um, is I think, you know, one six a you may see a district champion with two losses. Um, wow. You know, wow. I, You're I, coming I think, in hot right now. Jeez, I, I, I think it's, it's that there's so much parity in that district where that's where, where I'm looking at, where a team like Eastwood could start 0-2, and still fight, they'll find their way back into a district title contender. Normally, we don't say that, um, especially the past couple of years. But looking at how week one kind of unfolded, um, looking at how the teams have kind of played pre-district, you know, those are my first two right away, you know, looking at District 1-6-A, man. Okay, let me react to your first one with Eastwood. With uh, with the Troopers going up against the Cougars, I mean, this is tough because Franklin gets Darren Walker back as their varsity head coach. We didn't mention that at the, at the beginning. Right, we're right. still waiting. We're still waiting on Powers to come back, uh, Steve, Stephen Powers with the Franklin Cougars. So once they get him back, that's an added bonus to their team. Haven't seen a lot of Shea Smith, and we saw him all last year, Alex. I'm not too sure right. what, what's uh, his status. If his, He's if back. He's, He's been back. Okay. Good, good. That's good to know. But going back to Powers, I'm just, you know, I look at that Franklin team and I keep thinking this team is just scratching the surface. They could be a whole lot better than they currently are. And that's saying a lot because they're they're showing up in in each of these games uh, in back-to-back weeks that we've seen um, with their two wins. But, you know, with the Cougars, going into uh, Eastwood, that'll be a great matchup. I'm very excited about that one. Um, If it's not our game of the week, it's going to be one of the close games of the week for next week. Uh, If it's not, it's got to be that Eastlake Pebble Hills game, which is fantastic for next week. But like you said, for 6A, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a two-loss district champion. I'm just asking, can we please not have to do as much math at the end of the season where we're having to wonder, you know, if this team beats this team by this much or whatever then they get the district title i i don't want to do that alex i don't want a coin flip either like i want i want the easiest thing possible but if it's a two loss team that deserves it so be it you know i think it's going to come to that i i really feel like it's going to be chaos um it's going to be about who's healthy and who minimizes the mistakes i mean every team can put up points um you know in this district like i said everybody has a, a playmaker somebody they can rely upon to move the ball um you know it's going to come down to that that's how i look at it and you know it really it starts with this week you know you're looking at that franklin eastwood game uh pebble hills eastlake those are really the games that that are going to dictate you know whether it's going to be top heavy with you know maybe we have our 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 district title contenders that may separate themselves week three week four in a district play or like I mentioned our team's just going to go you know crazy next week and we see a Pebble Hills upset or we still you know whatever it may be Um, but I think it's really going to come down to that because there is some parity and you know I'm really excited to see how it plays out because I really feel like it could come down and, and like I mentioned you know Earlier with with the Socorros and the Franklin, we've talked about, or excuse me, the Socorros and the Coronados about them, you know, you know, possibly being spoiler and and maybe, you know, them being outside of the playoff race, but knocking off somebody that maybe they caught slipping. You know, that's also something, too, um, that I kind of factor into what could be a wild district 1-6-A race if if teams don't take care of business on a weekly basis. 
I'm going to throw two at you. I have two 6A hot takes as well. I'm glad you did too. Um, I ha- My first one is I'm thinking Pebble Hills makes the playoffs. My second one is I think Montwood misses the playoffs. There you go. There are my two hot wow. takes right there. I think the, you know, and it's nothing against the Rams. I just don't think they have what it, what it takes offensively and they don't have enough firepower offensively. That That's where I'm kind of standing. I like the defense, although there are holes and Franklin, who's a high scoring you know, offense, they were able to expose that. Eastlake, who's a high-scoring high type of offense, they could expose that too. And you look at Eastwood, the way that they're able to put up points, I don't know if the Rams will be able to match that those amount of points right there. So I'm taking Montwood out of the playoff picture. Um, I know we had talked about Montwood, Franklin, um, Eastlake, and Eastwood being as kind of our early locks for 6A. I'm taking the Rams out of that mix. I think that you know in early non-district play, they were able to catch uh, Central in in a really close game and credit to Ariel Famaligi and what he was able to do in that game. But uh, I didn't really, li- I go back to that Burgess game. I didn't really like that win as much anymore. I think it was a little bit too close, um, at, you know, too close for comfort, especially now that we're truly seeing what kind of Burgess team is out there and, and no knock to Burgess. I just don't think they're on that level that we maybe thought before the season started going to Pebble Hills. Uh, I think this is, this is one of those years where Mark Torres has to make the playoffs. This is a year where he has, to prove to the Pebble Hills brass that he can get to that playoff mark. And I think he's going to do that. I think he has a good defense. I think he has the guys who really want to win and and knows what it takes to do that. Montwood Pebble Hills. I trust the Pebble Hills offense. I don't know if I trust the Montwood offense in that game. You know, that matchup could possibly decide that fourth playoff spot, you know, the way things could possibly go down. So, um, you know, looking forward, that could be something that could decide that where both of those teams come down to it. And, you know, I could see where where you're at with Montwood. You know, Franklin was up 49-28. They had a three-score lead at at one point in that game, which really – um, you know, it was. It seemed like it was back and forth early on, and I, I really felt that Franklin was in control. And to me, that said a lot about where Franklin is right now, of where Montwood's defense isn't. Um, you know, particularly even though the way that they played against Burgess, you know, you're looking at at, at playing a more dynamic off, offense in Franklin, and you know, sitting at the top of that fourth quarter, and you're already allowing 49 points and however many yards accompanied with that 49 points. So I can definitely see that. I, I, I wouldn't think that that wouldn't be a far-fetched possibility like you said if Montwood can continue uh you know if Montwood can avoid getting in those shutouts and really or excuse me in those shootouts and find some consistency in offense or maybe they're controlling the game and you know they're trying to figure it out at running back Isaiah uh, uh they're that running back they have um as a sophomore you know is, is he the guy you know Kevin Melendez he, he has a lot on his plate you know I think Steve Escajeda reported he had over, you know, 80 yards rushing. He was doing a lot of the rushing at, you know, obviously, you know, moving the ball through the air. So that's going to be a really interesting mix of the consistency from Montwood going forward. I like it. Alex, going to your third hot take. I mean, we've, we've thrown out some good ones already. What, what about your third and final one uh, that you'd like to give us for today? I'm going to say that Cano Tio has the best, uh, the best, uh, defense out of district one what district ones and twos and they are the best team in district one and two out of that d2 uh bracket i I really think this kind of deal team has what it takes to win an area round playoff game depending on sort of the matchup of of who they draw out there and who beats who and who lines up where uh, from the three five a and the four five a district but looking at what they've done the past couple of weeks and obviously you know mountain view you're supposed to beat mountain view the way that they did um, but I really think what they have with LJ Martin, with that defense with Chewy Carrillo, that front three, that's very, very tough. I, you know, I really think that this, this is the head and shoulders best team, you know, really coming out of El Paso and could possibly compete in Region 1. You know, that, that staying healthy is really a, a key for Canotillo, I think, going forward. Um, but, you know, the way that LJ Martin is really – sort of turned it on, I guess, midseason. You know, I'm pretty sure he probably could have ran for 300 yards against Mountain View if they let him. Um, But we know Coach Brooks does, you know, Coach Brooks, he's a smart coach. He knows it's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's not about the numbers. It's about the end of the, the end result of the season. And I really, really feel like Canotillo is starting to, to really grind it out defensively and really figure themselves out. And, um, you know, I find it really, really hard for anybody in their district to beat them this year. And that includes Parkland. 
It's like we do a podcast together or something because I have Candy Tio as part of some of the things I want to talk about here in, in our next part when we talk locks. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned them. I'll, I'll save a little bit of Candy Tio for a little bit later. I'll throw my final hot take. I think this is the last game Riverside loses in regular season. I, yeah, I, know I can agree. Hands. I know that that was a close game, right? I, it was close toward the end uh, and not at the beginning. Monahans was pretty much blowing them out, but the Riverside Rangers, I, I feel like they're scared schedule stacks up for them but more than more than that they're expecting to win these games alpine at home next week they go on the road to san ellie then at home against fabens away against mountain view and close out the season against clint that was that clint lions game on uh friday october 29th that one's going to be the one that you might want to watch moving forward (laughs) but i like the riverside rangers to win out and close out the season i was hoping they could get to that 10 and 0 threshold but 9 and 1 sounds pretty nice for gary recoder and staff yeah, and, you know, when you talk about, you know, no losses are good, but that's a good loss. That was a game where they looked like Monahans could run away with that one early, maybe put up a, a lopsided score in that one, and Riverside was able to really bounce back and, and make it a game. And um, I can agree with you. I think that loss may help them going forward. Of course, you, the big game you circled at Clint, I think Clint is going to be a really, really – that's going to be obviously the district title game, in, in my opinion. Mountain View may give them some trouble um, – in that district, but I think it's obviously it's going to come down, um, you know, to them and the Clint Lions. And I was almost my hot take too. I was almost going to go with Riverside sort of in that same realm. Um, so I fully agree with you. You know, Monahans is a really good team and, and possibly, um, you know, depending on how things shake out and, and where they, and where they go, this could be a team, you know, where you're looking at um, area round play where, um, you know, these two teams could possibly meet. Let me see if they're both in uh, in, in the same division. But, um, you know, that's something to look forward to as far as, you know, from a confidence standpoint of Riverside and, and um, you know, really kind of get engaging of where they're at with their competition. And, you know, that's, like I mentioned, a, a potential playoff uh, matchup that could possibly uh, manifest itself down the road for Riverside. So a good measuring stick game. And I think, like you said, I, I really hard to see them losing. If they do, it would be Clint. Um, But I think this team is just going to continue to get better. I want to talk a little bit about some locks that we have for the rest of the season moving forward. And when we talk about locks, that means in our head, this is a surefire bet. We, we would say that this is go- going to be the case moving forward. Um, Alex, I'll start things off. I'm going to throw out one lock. LJ Martin ends the season as El Paso's leading rusher over Ernie Garcia. Now he has 819 yards through five weeks so far. The lowest amount of rushing yards he's had is against Chapin in their 35, 30, uh, excuse me, 34, 13 victory. He had 112 on the ground, but every game, hundred plus every game, he's blowing up teams and defenses. LJ Martin, what he's been able to do, not only on offense, but like that game ending interception that he had against uh, Del Valle uh, on the defensive side. This guy's a ball hawk. He just knows how to play the sport of football, and he's only a junior. He's only getting more offers left and right. He, you could, he's really reaping uh, the benefits of all the, the work that he's put in. Give me LJ Martin winning the local rushing title as my lock. I could see that. You know, I could definitely see that, particularly with the way that their schedule pounds out. Um, you know, and, and even, you know, if we're talking about including those playoff games in there as well that we expect Canotillo to be in and competing in, that's not far-fetched. And, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, this week was sort of a, a low a low carry game for him because they were up big in that one. But, you know, definitely they're going to ride on, on his tails. You know, going forward, he he's a guy that can that can move the ball and make big plays. And he's starting, you know, we were kind of noted he we came in as sort of that grinder, um, you know, short yards, four or five here, maybe bust the 15, 21. Well, he's starting to expand that. He's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. The game's slowing down to him, uh, slowing down for him uh, from a standpoint where he's faster, he's taller, he's bigger than everybody. Uh, and, and, and that's something that could possibly manifest itself as well. Give me your first lock. My first and only lock right now that I have, um, you know, going forward after a couple of, of weeks of plays, I think each, you know, when we're talking about uh, District 16A, District 25A, D1, and District 15A, or excuse me, District uh, 15A, D2, and District 25A, D2, all of those playoff spots, I think, are going to be decided like the three and the four 
I think it's a lock that they're all going to be still up for grabs going into last week. But we're going to have somebody has to beat somebody scenario. Uh, So-and-so has to beat somebody to lose to this person. Um, And then their grandma's seventh grade team has to lose to this. I think it's going to be hectic. That's my my lock right now. Um, I think we're going to see chaos in those three districts. Really, um, you know, I'll, there's no. I think they're all as far as th- those teams that are jockeying for those playoff positions. I think they're all even, and there's a lot of parity across town this year. Um, you know, normally there is, but this year it's, it's sort of glaring. And I, you know, those three districts, it's going to come down to that last week. Could even be talking about some coin flips after, and, and I love that. I know you don't, but I do. I know Paul <laughs> McKinnon, uh, our, the one of the hosts of Football Friday Night, loves those scenarios, and uh, I love the back and forth texts that, that we have when it comes to that because we're looking. Well, it used to be you're looking at okay, who's the big school, small school. Now they're already divided, so now it's about okay, what are their tiebreakers? So I think it's good. That's my lock is those three districts are going to come down to the last weekend. Uh, you know, for me as a high school football fan, media guy, I, I love it. <laughs> I got two more to throw at you. Delvaya wins five, Super 5A outright, doesn't lose a game in district. Jefferson makes the playoffs. Those are my last two. And I want to throw this out there to you, and I know you have something good to talk about on this. This is coming from Matt Stepp, our friend at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Realignment is set for next month for the 2022 season. One big thing to watch, El Dorado likely back in 6A. Chapin probably down to 5A D2. So he he thinks that possibly Del Valle and Bel Air could opt to 6A as possibly the play right there. Now, if Del Valle wins another district title in this one, it maybe even walks through it pretty easily. I, I wonder what that means for them in the future if they were to move up to 6A, if we were just to fantasize a super 6A locally for a possible realignment. That, that sounds so fascinating to me, Alex, just kind of thinking into the future into next year. Yeah, we haven't had a Super 6A in El Paso going back to like 2003 through 2005 when it was Bel Air, Andres, Hanks, uh, Franklin, Coronado, Americas, Montwood, you name it. They were all in one big district. And it's been so, it's been that long since we've had one of that. And, and the snapshot and, and the numbers and, and the finalized numbers, that's going to be very, very interesting to see how that plays out. Because even the preliminary numbers that we see in the snapshot day that's typically in October, that gives us really a look. And, and you're talking about the big talk, like I said, or like Matt mentioned, uh, was El Dorado. That's, you know, that breaks up that Super 5A district and it puts a lot of um, athletic directors and football coaches and, um, you know, not only that, but you're looking at Olympic sports as well as, as do, you know, even if a, a team like Del Valle opts up to 6A, well, what about their soccer team? Do they stay in 5A or is it just for opt up for football? You know, that's the conversations that, you know, that are going to really, really start to happen and really sort of heat up those opt up decisions. And, and, you know, that really makes interesting when you're talking about travel and you're talking about those type of things as far as who your district mates are, um, you know, the closest 5A D1s is, is the Lubbock area and the Amarillo area. Um, you know, that's why there's only five or what, five teams, four teams in the Super 5A district, um, you know, because of because of the travel uh, logistics in that one. And, you know, just imagine, you know, thinking about COVID last year, um, the way that that just threw in a big wrench, you know, a big wrench and everything. So, um, you know, it, it is going to be very, very interesting. And obviously realignment's a big deal every year. But I think more so this could shake up something, like I said, that we haven't really seen, um, you know, and, and now that I look back, man, I'm old, Adrian, because I played in that super district back then. That's about wow. two decades since we had that super district, man. <laughs> I love that, man. Um, let, let's preview next week. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the big games that we've got. Parkland El Dorado gets things started on Thursday. Now, uh, the first of what we'll start to see is the, a reoccurring thing on Thursday nights as part of double headers out at the sack on thursdays that's rough man can you think about ending a game at like 11 30 and then having to go to class next day on friday if you're uh some of these kids or hey even leaving class early and getting on a bus and playing a four o'clock game on thursday just interesting that we're getting introduced to this for the first time oh how about us media guys too you remember those late nights at the sack oh yes and and breaking stuff down after 11 30 and then trying to get the pre the post game show yeah we've been there yeah it's 
you know, it, it's, it's getting to the heart of district play. And, you know, the, at this point of the year, I think, um, you know, for the kids, it, it's fun. You know, I, I think, you know, you're looking at that, at those type of games, um, this is what they live for. This is what they've trained for. And, you know, you hope that, um, you know, you just stay healthy as possible. That's really the big key. I think for coaches, of course, they would love to have that extra day. And, um, you know, we get that super sack, especially or, or, or what I've heard is that other super sack is supposed to open at the end of uh, or start to break ground at the end of this year. Um, wow. That's what I've heard. So that could alleviate that. That could also alleviate that in the next couple of years where uh, we're going to pick to what we have to pick what's Thursday game we're going to have to go to, man. <laughs> That is so interesting. I hope they do break ground. I hope it's like when Franklin opened up their stadium, you know, about six years ago, and they opened up pretty much at the last game of the, their last home game of the season. I hope it's something like that. That's um, the, I haven't heard the open date, but that's the talk is that the, the, they're supposed to break ground on that. Um, that's I, somebody was talking about that. Uh, sources were confirming that uh, week one, actually, when I was covering the game at the sack. So um, that's going to be something to really look forward to as well. Great to hear. Hey, we're talking news today on the sh- on the podcast. I love it. We're not just talking about I, I, football. And, and I didn't review this with you. This is coming. I out know. Of <laughs> this is all. This is all out of out of our uh, out of our back pocket. I love it. Austin Andrus. If you had to put a betting line on this, what would it be? Would it be Austin? I mean, would it be Andrus three and a half favorites? Is that what that is? That what what this would be? I would go higher. I would go higher, yeah, and I think the money line higher. would move towards Austin because of Andrus's injuries. I would say I would put it about eight and a half, maybe even nine, um, just because of the fact that Austin can slow the game down and is possibly the only team this year in 2-5 AD2 that can slow down Andrus, particularly with their defense. But like I mentioned, um, you know, without Malachi Doe, Andrus is going to really have to shuffle. Um, you know, is it going to be Charlie Bass at running back? What, what, what direction is Andrus going to go? That's going to be the big question. Um, you know, Cooper's, Cooper's ankle is obviously going to be something to keep in mind too, Andrus doesn't have the depth that they've had in the past couple of years. That's really going to be the knock on Andres going forward. So, um, you know, I think Andres would cover that. I, I, I feel confident that the Eagles can have a comfortable win. But like I mentioned with Austin, you know, they're a tricky team because if they can get those four or five yards per carry average, I mean, they can bleed that clock down four or five minutes and, and they want to play keep away, especially with a team like Andres. So uh, always an interesting matchup. And Andres has had the best of them over the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, Austin's always tough with the way that they run that offense. One other game I really want to mention, I can't believe this is already next week. Jefferson Irvin, this is already next week. We could be talking about a game that could decide who gets into the playoffs next week between these two teams. That's the game I'm going to be at for football Friday night. I'm actually looking forward to that one because, um, you know, talking with, with, with Paul McKinnon on football Friday night, talking with the, well, us uh, – after at Union Draft House, the talk was that's possibly going to decide that fourth and final playoff spot. That could be the team that holds that one game water the rest of the way. And, and obviously, Irvin's going to be looking for a big bounce back win after that El Paso High. Probably a game they felt they should have won. Um, and the same thing with Jefferson. Maybe a game that they felt that they probably should have won. And, you know, two teams that are experienced, two teams that um, have playoffs on their mind. And, and I really think that's going to come down to the final possession. That's probably going to be a game that you could see maybe in the mid 20s um you know but you know that's really going to decide that fourth playoff spot I really agree with Paul McKinnon when we're talking about that last Friday um and that's going to be a very very exciting game um and, and back in the northeast I love uh, Urban Stadium out there I guess last game to wrap things up, we talked a little bit about Eastwood Franklin. I'm not sure if, if you want to mention anything, go right on ahead. But I want to ask you and get your thoughts on pro- possibly the biggest game of the week, Eastlake Pebble Hills. Are we making too much of this game? Is this one of those games where we might talk about it all week long? And at the end, it, it's all Eastlake, um, you know, the Falcons bouncing back, you know, bouncing back after kind of a sluggish performance against America's and really handling Pebble Hills. Or do you think this will be a lot closer than most? Most people might initially have thought, you know, when the season was in flux for the the Spartans and when things were going great for Eastlake. Yeah, this is another one, you know, for really for both teams, you know, like like you mentioned, both teams coming off of uh, what developed last week. Um, How do you build off of that? Does it spiral out of the control if if you're Eastlake and you have another bad game offensively where your offensive line struggles, your quarterback struggles, and you can't do what you want to do. And then now you're one and one in district play. Um, that's really, you know, the, the big question. And same thing for Pebble Hills. Um, you know, you're one and oh, you have an opportunity. Now, really, you control your own destiny to a district title. Um, 
do you keep that O in, in the loss column? You know, can you continue to build on that? Or, you know, do things kind of fall apart? You know, do, you know, does the sophomore quarterback guy let you have some more, uh, you know, growing pains to go through as all young quarterbacks do. I felt he turned that corner last week against Eastwood, but again, you got to play next week. You got to pick yourself back up and, and go out there and, 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 and you know, if you want to win a district title, got to win five games, you know? So that's really going to be a key uh, for both teams is how do they respond to go forward and not try to, you know, take one step back with a big loss. You know, maybe you lose an injury, a player to injury that, that attributes to that loss, but that's really a momentum, a, a season momentum changing game for both teams that, you know, you, you're two and oh, you know, you're talking about Eastwood and, and, and or that Franklin uh, Montwood, or excuse me, the Franklin Eastwood game, you know, that's really going to dictate, you know, can Franklin come out of their two and oh, or somebody going to have a two and oh mate that's going to be with them out of week two. So, you know, staying ahead of the standings is very, very important, um, you know, and I think that's what this game is really going to symbolize going forward for both Pebble Hills, um, you know, and for uh, Eastlake and not only that, but for the rest of those district title contenders as well. Do you like East Lake and Franklin in both those games? Yeah, I'll give a slight edge to East Lake because of Uribe. I'm a big Elijah Uribe fan. My household is Elijah Uribe household. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's a guy that just changes the game, and he's physical. He's hard to bring down. He's fast. He's smart. I mean, I can go on all night. Um, but I think that's the difference in that game. Now, for Pebble Hills, if they can generate some big plays – um, and execute some of those big plays. I think that's what's gonna that's what's gonna keep them in the game. Um, but again, I mentioned that that uh, that East Lake defense. That's a really good defense that they're going up against. East Lake's defense is not is not a defense. You know, I don't think they've allowed more than fourteen points so far this year. Um, you know, and that you know, and that says a lot about what they're doing, uh, what they're experiencing, and what they're doing defensively. So, yeah, give me East Lake, uh, give me Franklin. Um, you know, Eastwood honestly to me has the toughest home field advantage in District One Five A. Um, they're going to, or excuse me, in District One Six A. Pardon me. I think they're going to use that to their advantage. But you know, Franklin, like I said, Cameron Bird. This is also a Cameron Bird household as well. <laughs> He's Alex Nicolas. Follow him on Twitter at NicolasAlex915. Check out all his great work up at our website, 600ESPNElPaso.com, for his weekly recaps. He talks Thursday Night Football with us as well, joins us on the podcast every week, and you can hear, hear him, you can hear me on Football Friday Night every Friday night on 600ESPNElPaso. Alex, thanks so much as always, man. Can't wait to do it again next week. Yes, sir. Second week of district play. It should be fun, man. Tune in on Football Friday night. It should be a fun one. It should be a, a great one. All right, Alex, we'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks again. We'll talk to everybody next week as well. Stay with us as Football Friday night comes right back this Friday right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.